Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio on what has been, and I apologize, a very inconsistent schedule. I uh, I think many of you know things have been a little bit crazy for me schedule-wise. We did a show earlier in the week that unfortunately had some issues with blog talk. But we are back now, one night earlier than usual. Um, Again, it's been a little bit nuts after uh, spending some time out at training camp, getting back to the UK, then taking a couple days before a long drive to the south of France for a couple weeks with the family while I keep up with what's going on with the team. So it's been a little crazy, but uh, I appreciate the patience you guys have shown. We've had some a couple people shoot some messages asking when the next show would be. Um, had a couple nice messages from the listeners saying uh, that they get it. I understand it's been, uh, you know, a bit of a whirlwind with going down to camp and all that, and they appreciate it. So uh, we appreciate that. Thank you very much. Uh, we love doing what we do, and uh, quite a, quite a bit to cover tonight, especially since uh, the shows have been infrequent of late, and the most recent one didn't air. Uh, again, blog talk issue that hopefully will not be an issue this evening. But let's let's jump right into it, shall we? Because I think we know, for anyone who's been keeping up with this team and keeping up with the news, the uh, the biggest story, the biggest debate, the biggest argument that is for some reason raging among Jets fans right now is whether or not rookie quarterback Sam Darnold should be under center week one in Detroit against the Lions, prime time. There, there are fans for and against both sides. You know, those who want Teddy Bridgewater and there are those who want Sam Darnold. Both sides make valid points. Both sides have, you know, a, a little bit of ammunition in, in terms of why they believe it should be one guy or the other. My feeling, and I've said this, you know, in a few conversations I've had with, with fellow Jets fans on Twitter is that if you believe in your heart of hearts that this Jets team is ready right now to compete for a Super Bowl and that's why you want Teddy Bridgewater to start, then I, I can't argue with you. I, I will strongly disagree because as much as I am a fan of this team and as much as I believe they are far better then a lot of the national folks are willing to acknowledge or that they don't understand this team is not Super Bowl ready. That's my, that's my opinion. Some people, I think, you know, again, not that it's, you know, uh, how much validity you want to give it is, is up to you. And I understand most of this stuff is take with a grain of salt. 
but I think I saw you know one of the ESPN power rankings or something like that the other day. They have the Jets at 32, worst team in the NFL. Now that I would vehemently disagree with. It's just you can't tell me this team that won five games last year and made across the board improvements at key positions. Quarterback is better. Offensive line is better. Defensive line should be better. Secondary is better. Running back is better. Wide receiver is better. Tight end is going to be better. And this team's going to go from five wins to one or two after making upgrades at all those spots. I'm not buying it, okay? However, with this team's inability to get any pressure on the quarterback, you're not winning the Super Bowl if you can't get to the quarterback. And I don't see anybody on this roster emerging and doing that. The offensive line, we'll talk about them a lot tonight. I think they're better than most people uh, seem to feel, and that's fine. We're all entitled to our opinions. But getting back to the point of Bridgewater and Darnold, those who want Teddy Bridgewater to start, if you want Teddy Bridgewater to start and you truly believe it's because he will win the Jets a Super Bowl, I won't agree with you, but I can't argue with you. Because winning a Super Bowl is the only reason you would start Teddy Bridgewater this year. If you believe you have a real shot to win a championship. Anything short of that, anything short of a ring, and Teddy Bridgewater is gone after this year, and you get nothing for him. You don't get a comp pick. Jets are going to have $100 million in cap space. They might be the most active team in free agency in the NFL next offseason. When you do that, you don't get comp picks. You get nothing. This team needs draft picks to build around Sam Darnold, who is the future. I've had people say to me, what if Teddy plays well and we give him an extension and you, you give Darnold some more time? Are you kidding me? You're going to trade multiple draft picks for Sam Darnold? Multiple second rounders to get a guy who was widely regarded as the top quarterback in this draft? And then bench him for two or three years? So that what? So that you get two years of play out of him before he's commanding what by then will probably be $30 million a year? And for the three years of cheap, quality quarterback play that you would get, you're going to throw him out the window? Because if Teddy Bridgewater plays well, if he plays well enough to get re-signed, he's going to have to play like an elite quarterback. And elite quarterbacks command 20-plus million a year. So now you're taking the years that you have what you believe be a high-level quarterback at a cheap price, putting him on the bench, giving another quarterback $20 million a year, and now you're spending 30 million a year on the quarterback position. It's not going to happen, folks. It's not happening. Teddy Bridgewater is a great guy from everything I can see. What he went through and his attitude to hear him talk about his mental, about his mindset when he was going through what he was going through. The guy's not played a snap with this team, and he's one of my favorite guys on the roster. You have to love what Teddy Bridgewater brings from a character standpoint and from an on-field standpoint. The guy can play. You know, his numbers aren't going to blow you away, but he, he's 
start of two years. He's a young guy. And by all accounts, coming into year three, before he blew his head, it felt like he had made like he had taken the next step. Like he's gonna become, you know, ready to jump into that upper echelon of quarterbacks. And I've said before, this is why I wish the Jets had given him a two year deal. Because I could live with them starting him for this year. I would I would have no problem if Teddy Bridgewater continued to play the way he played and continues to, wait, to look the way he's looked this preseason, I would have no problem saying, let's play him for the year. Go ahead, play him for the year, make a run at it, see if Darnold can get, help, get, you know, get, on the, you know, get, get up to speed. Or, I mean, not that he's not up to speed now. But let, let, let Darnold sit and learn for a year. I have no issue with that. And then in the offseason, you can trade Teddy. But they don't have that option. You can hit with the franchise tag. Again, now paying $30 million on the quarterback position on two guys. That's not going to happen. Teddy Bridgewater is not with this team beyond this year. Not happening. People ask me, why don't we see if he'll sign for a long, as a long-term backup? He's not going to do that. He's a starter. He wants to start. He wants starter money, and he wants starter status. He's not getting that here. So unless you believe that the Jets are a Super Bowl, I don't even want, you better not even believe they can win a Super Bowl. Unless you think they're the favorite to win the Super Bowl with Teddy Bridgewater, keeping him, losing him for nothing makes no sense. Now in terms of the timing, when do you trade Teddy Bridgewater? I don't think you deal him ASAP. I don't think the objective should be to get him dealt before the season starts. That might happen, but I think Mike McCagnan, and we saw this with the Sheldon Richardson situation, as much as we heard the Jets are going to have to take a fourth, they're going to have to take a fifth, they'll be lucky to get a third, Mike McCagnan sat and waited till he got the offer he wanted. And he got a two in Jermaine Curse, which behind the Darnold deal still might be his best move as a GM. But I think with Teddy Bridgewater, you keep him on your roster, and you got four or five weeks before the deadline, and you wait till somebody's starter gets hurt, and somebody's starter will get hurt. Or you wait for somebody's starter to think it up. Blake Bortles, we keep hearing the Jacksonville Jaguars mentioned, and with good reason. Blake Bortles is not very good. Teddy Bridgewater would be an upgrade over Blake Bortles. The Jacksonville Jaguars, undeniably, you are out of your mind if you don't think they have a Super Bowl-caliber roster with a better quarterback. Hell, they almost went to the Super Bowl last year with Blake Bortles. Okay? You give them Teddy Bridgewater, that upgraded quarterback, there's a good chance Teddy Bridgewater is lifting a Lombardi trophy at the end of this year. It's not happening here. So a team like the Jaguars or a team that's got a starter. Listen, Case Keenum in Denver is an unknown. He had a career year. Great story. Guess what? New team, new offense, new receivers. Let's say hypothetically, Case Keenum goes out there and stinks up the joint. Say he's one and three, one and four, something along those lines. Oh and three. Broncos are sitting there at oh and three, one and three. You don't think John Elway says, hey, man, we need to turn this thing around in a hurry. 
A quarterback can underperform. A quarterback can get hurt. I mean, somebody will. We know, it happens every year. Someone's quarterback is going to get hurt, or someone's quarterback is going to fail to live up to expectations. And that's when Mike McCagnan can start fielding calls. So all these teams right now that we're hearing, teams want to offer backup compensation. Well, Teddy's going to be our backup, so, you know, we'll give you a fourth or a fifth. No. Honestly, as much as I'm sitting here saying you want those picks, if you're offering me a fifth for Teddy Bridgewater right now, and even a fourth, depending on the team, if you're an upper echelon team that I feel like is going to make a good playoff run, let's say, uh, well, well, I almost said Seattle. Who knows what's going to happen with what they did to their secondary. But look at Oakland. Oakland was, you know, they were a team that people thought could win the Super Bowl a couple years ago. And then Derek Carr gets hurt. They got to go to their backup and everything falls apart. A team like that calls you and tries to say, well, Teddy's our back. Teddy's going to be our backup, so we'll give you a fifth, or maybe we'll give you a fourth. That fourth round pick, if you're not going to fourth round pick for a playoff team, you really, is the 27th pick in the fourth round worth giving up Teddy Bridgewater? I, I, I couldn't argue with you. You said no. I wouldn't have an issue with turning that down. However, when someone's quarterback gets hurt, or when someone's quarterback stinks, and someone calls and says, all right, you know, Mike McCagnan, what's it going to take? Listen, it's going to take a two. Or with the, with the, you know, possibility of it being a one. You know, maybe maybe you get a fringe team, borderline team. You say, look, it's a second-round pick, becomes a one if you guys win a playoff game with Teddy under, under center. Something along those lines. If he takes X amount of snaps, whatever whatever the condition may be. But I don't think you can. I don't think you can ship Teddy Bridgewater off for any less than a third. Honestly, unless, if you're doing it for a fourth, it better be for a team that you think is going to be picking in the top ten or eleven. You know that that early fourth should be the late, late fourth round pick. If you want to do it, fine. But you, you got to get more than that for Teddy Bridgewater. Okay, we all know Sam Bradford a couple of years ago got a first out of the out of the Philadelphia Eagles to send him to the Vikings. Sam Bradford isn't that good. You want to talk about injury history. Oh, Teddy's injury. All right, Teddy had one injury. Sam Bradford's hurt every other year. And the Philadelphia Eagles got a first-round pick for him. So if you're going to tell me that Teddy Bridgewater is going to win a Super Bowl, I disagree. If you're going to tell me they need to trade, that you agree that they need to trade him, I'm on board with that. If you want to trade him for a fifth-round pick or a team that might get them the 27th, 28th, 29th pick in the fourth round, I'd almost just rather say hang on to him. Or I would say hang on to him, wait for someone to get hurt. If by some miracle every quarterback in the league stays healthy and nobody needs a new starter by the time the trade deadline comes and goes, uh, you keep him. You keep Teddy Bridgewater. I'm sorry. Even as I say that, at that point, yeah, fine. Maybe you deal him for that fourth. But right now, and over the next few weeks, over the next month, when Teddy Bridgewater has true value and you need picks to build around Sam Darnold with, I say you keep him. Or, or, and this is the next topic we're going to cover. And I already mentioned the team, the Oakland Raiders. And John Gruden 
was quoted the other day as saying he's not sure if the Raiders' backup quarterback is currently on the roster. Oakland is in the market for a backup quarterback. And again, Oakland's important here because, as I mentioned, this is a team that had a shot at a Super Bowl a couple years ago until their, their starter went down. So you you look at Teddy Bridgewater, you look at the fact that Oakland needs a backup quarterback, and you look at the fact that Oakland is somehow, that I have no idea how, I couldn't begin to tell you, but somehow seems to be completely botching their situation with Khalil Mack. And the rumors have already started. Teams are interested. Obviously, this is a guy who you could make a case for being the best defensive player in the NFL. Absolutely top five. Absolutely top five. Probably, I mean, again, uh, you could put him right up there at number one. And the Raiders have reportedly, this is according to Pro Football Talk, the Raiders have not made him a contract offer since February. He's not in camp. Obviously not in uniform. And there are those who feel that the Raiders are going to see what Mac does when those game checks start to get docked. Apparently, eight hundred and forty grand a week. There are those who feel and, and have said, I don't have the name in front of me, but I know there was one former GM a few weeks ago, maybe even a month ago, said that he thought that the direction this was going, Khalil Mack would get traded. And I laughed at that. No way. No way are the Raiders going to trade Khalil Mack. Since then, still no contract offer. Season's a week away, two weeks away. He's still not in camp. John Gruden and Khalil Mack, from what we've heard, have had close to zero communication which is unfathomable to me. Brand new head coach getting $10 million a year and you're making no effort to contact your best player. Or I should say, little effort. Gruden was quoted today saying that the process is excruciating. The Raiders have an older roster. I believe they have 14, 15 players over 30 years old. Twelve teams, we were told initially, contacted the Raiders. And now we see today that there are four teams who have made serious offers. And that the Raiders, shockingly, at least to me anyway, shockingly, are not, are not turning teams away immediately, which is what we were told a few weeks ago. Now we're hearing four teams are serious. And the Raiders, the Raiders aren't hanging up the phone. They're listening. So if you're the New York Jets, and the single biggest deficiency on your roster is an edge rusher, and you have just gotten yourself a quarterback who, as I say, many feel, myself included, many feel was the best quarterback in this class, and you have $100 million in cap space next season, I don't see how 
in the world, the Jets aren't making a huge push for Khalil Mack if and when the Raiders are actively or, you know, openly listening to offers and shopping Khalil Mack. How it gets to that point, uh, it's it, it's bizarre. You know, you could point to Darrell Revis and say, well, the Jets did the same thing because Darrell Revis was arguably the best defensive player in the NFL and the Jets had to trade him or ended up trading him. To me, that's a little bit different because Revis was a guy who did a rare thing, held out to get his deal, and then held out again two years later. And then after signing his deal, said at the press conference that he may hold out again on that deal. So I think that I think that scared the scared the Jets out of their wits. And I think they realized what they were looking at, and this guy was going to hold out every two years. That's not the case with Khalil Mack. This is one holdout. And it's because he is, again, arguably the best defensive player in the NFL. The one, the one caveat, though, one thing Oakland could look to do, uh, with, you know, and this is why some players don't like the franchise tag, Oakland, if they get Mack into camp this year, or, you know, on the field eventually, if he, if he doesn't like losing those game checks and Cleo Mack decides to start showing up, then the Raiders get him this season, and then they could tag him next year, and they would they would pay him heftily. They would it would be a a huge huge salary, and they could tag him again the next year, which would put him probably in the, the in the twenty million twenty three million a year range. But the Raiders could be looking at it and saying, for what we would pay Khalil Mack over the next three years with two of those years being franchise tags, would be worth our while because when he eventually hit free agency three years from now, he'd be 30 years old. And then you'd have the leverage of saying, the guy's, he, he's entering, you know, he's, he's, he's about to start a, a decline as he enters his 30s. You're not 25, 26, 27, 28 anymore. Maybe they let Mac walk at that point. Maybe they just say, let's get this guy for his absolute best years. We'll pay him what it costs for three years rather than give him a five or six year deal at 20 per, maybe even more, 22 per, and then be stuck with a 33, 34 year old veteran who's not worth anywhere near what you're paying him, potentially. So maybe that's Oakland's angle. Maybe Oakland says, look, we're not trading him. We're going to keep him on our roster for the next three seasons. And then he can go ahead and be a free agent when he's 30. And see if Khalil Mack can get a five or six year deal then. Who knows? Who knows what anything can happen? This could be Oakland protecting themselves. It's a, uh, I wouldn't say it's the, the best move. But that, as far as I'm concerned, that's the only reason I can think of as to why the Oakland Raiders wouldn't be offering Khalil Mack a huge deal. Maybe he wants six years. I don't know. But we do know, or at least we have heard, that he wants to be the highest paid non-quarterback. Now, an interesting respect, or an interesting fact in respect to that, is Odell Beckham Jr. Now, why does that matter? Well, Odell Beckham Jr. signed a new deal with the Giants today. 
five years, 90 million. That's a lot of money. It might have been five years, 95. So just under 20 million for a wide receiver. Khalil Mack is arguably the best edge rusher in the game. Now you tell me which position is viewed as being more critical. Which one is more important? Which one is harder to find? A great receiver or a great edge rusher? Who tends to make more? Top receivers or top edge rushers? So Khalil Mack is looking at another NFL player who's important is not whose position is not viewed as, as being as important as his own, and that guy's getting almost twenty million a year. And now when Aaron Donald signs, which it sounds like he's making some progress with the Rams, he's probably gonna get twenty, twenty one million. And there's Khalil Mack's gonna be sitting there, still not signed, wanting to be the highest paid guy. So this is where the Jets have an opportunity because if someone's going to pay him that money, you can say he's not worth it. Well, someone's going to pay him that, and then he's going to continue doing what he does. We would assume, you know, in terms of character, I've never heard a bad word about Khalil Mack. He went to the University of Buffalo, small town. I know one or two people up there who said they ran into him as he think he was working some part-time jobs during college. Good kid, respectful, personable. Doesn't seem to have any work ethic issues. So someone's going to get Khalil Mack. It, again, Oakland may keep him. But he's going to play great for somebody, and he's going to make a lot of money doing it. So why not have it be with the Jets where they need an edge rusher? Because this is a guy who changes the entire dynamic of the defense. You add Khalil Mack to this roster, every single guy in that defense gets better. Leo's facing fewer double teams. Cornerbacks are having or not having to cover for quite as long because of the fact that Mac and Leo are able to get some pressure. So the deal makes sense. And you know, as far as I'm concerned, if you trade for him, you front load the hell out of that deal. And you put some stipulations, you know, if I'm not mistaken, it could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure the Jets. And, and actually, yeah, because I want to say that there was some uh, little bit of animosity, having mentioned earlier, the Darrell Rivas situation. I think the Jets put something in his deal where if he missed time, if he reneged on his deal, then there would be some penalties involved. So if you're going to get Khalil Mack, as far as I'm concerned, and you have $100 million in cap room next year and probably just as much the following year, haven't even looked at that. I say you front load the hell out of those contracts. You give him a boatload of money in year one and two, and then you have then you drop that base salary dramatically in year three, four, and five. And you you put language in the contract that any holdouts, any issues beyond that, because you can't do that. I get when players do that. You know, oh, I'm I'm not playing for five million this year. You know, we paid you $15 million the year before, and, you know, market value, you're probably worth ten. We front-loaded it for a reason, blah, blah, blah. But if you give this guy a ton of money up front with the understanding, the reason we're giving you this money is so that cap number drops. We're going to pay you an absurd amount 
discussed the possibility possibility of doing this with Kirk Cousins when he was a free agent. You have the cap room. Give Khalil Mack forty million next year, thirty million the next year, and then ten, twelve million a year for the next three. He still gets all his money. It's just front loaded, and now you have a guy on your roster who changes the entire dynamic of your defense, and then of course really changing, turning things around for your whole roster. You have a force on defense, and if Sam Darnold is as good as it looks like he is going to be, and you add Khalil Mack to that, I mean, in my mind, this this team becomes a playoff contender if Sam Darnold continues to do the things he's done. And if you don't think Sam Darnold has looked phenomenal in his preseason, I don't know what to tell you. Well, the first thing I I do know what to tell you Stop looking at the box scores. Someone said to me, oh, I missed the game, but it uh, looks like Donald wasn't very good. I, I, I saw he went 8 for 16 or whatever it was. I think it was 8 for 16. Guy had four passes that hit receivers' hands that weren't pulled in. So four drops right there. That puts you at 12 for 16 if those guys hold on. You had one ball thrown away when he was under pressure. Stupid play, intentional grounding. Of course, he wasn't thinking he was still standing in the pocket. So that right there, that, that's not a, that's not, he's not attempting a completion. So you take one of those attempts away. That's 15. Now you're, at, now you're at 12 for 15. One ball was batted at the line. Well, of course it wasn't completed. It got batted at the line. So he went 12 for 15. Or sorry. He was on target, hit a receiver when he intended to throw the ball down the field to a receiver 12 out of 15 times. His first drive, Sam Darnold on that first drive looked as good as you could have hoped he would look this season at any point. The the play, you know, the couple plays that everybody's talking about, when Darnold talked about audibling out, You know, the Jets had a third and eight, and he hit Neil Sterling in the flat on a play that he audibled out of. He talked about how he saw the the linebackers creeping up into the A-gaps, so he didn't like the play call, and he didn't think that from those A-gaps, having crept up, that they'd be able to keep up with the tight ends. So he changed the play, has Sterling go out in the flat, hits him for a 12-yard gain and a first down on third down. Fantastic job. Great recognition by him. Perfect execution. That was great. The the run the third and the third and thirteen run third down thirteen to go the Giants are in man Donald realizes that the, the DBs have their backs to him pocket breaks down a little bit he takes off and picks up fourteen fifteen yards another first down but I'll tell you what I think my favorite play on that drive or my favorite throw anyway he had a first and ten where he hits Robbie Anderson along the right sideline on a comeback route on a ball. It damn near looked like a curveball. I mean, he throws it perfectly over the outstretched arms of the defender. Perfectly. And then the ball, he gets the ball to Robbie Anderson, where only Robbie Anderson can get it. Anderson's got to hit the deck a little bit, drop to his knees to make the catch. But he puts it in an absolutely perfect spot, right where the defender between him and the receiver can't reach it and then right where the defender who's covering the receiver can't get to it, and it's a completion. Picture-perfect throw. And this guy, 
is 21 years old, going to be, and I believe this, again, people having this argument about who should start week one, it's, to me it's an absolute no-brainer. It's fun to chat and argue and go back and forth on Twitter and all that. I get it. I enjoy that. A lot of fans like the banter and all that. But as far as I'm concerned, Sam Donald is starting week one. These arguments about should it be Bridgewater, anyone arguing for McCown, I, I don't know what to say. It should, it's going to be Donald. He's been, he started the last couple of weeks. He's been getting first team reps. I saw one of the beat writers tweeted out today that he got the first reps in walkthrough, which had, those reps have always gone to McCown. Today it was Donald. Sam Donald is your week one starter. And Sam Donald should be your week one starter. Sam Donald should not take a single rep this week against the Eagles. That would be, and he's not. He's not going to see a rep, and he shouldn't see a rep. I don't. I honestly don't know if. I don't know if I if I think any of these guys should see a rep. I mean, to to try to get to try to get any of those guys or to send those guys out there and risk getting them hurt. It's just not worth it to me. It, it would make no sense. Josh McCown is likely the backup if and when Teddy Bridgewater is traded. Teddy Bridgewater is your trade chip, your best trade chip, the best trade chip you've had, well, maybe since Sheldon, but he could be an even better chip than that. So are you really going to risk running him out there and getting him hurt? And then, of course, Darnold. You're not going to risk getting him hurt. There's, there's no reason to play any of those guys. I hear people, I've seen people say, oh, Darnold probably only gets one series this week, maybe two. Maybe Bridgewater plays the first half or, you know, they, they do something along those lines. And, and I just can't see it because, of, of course, uh, for those of you who hadn't heard, the Jets did it at a fourth quarterback this week. And it was, um, it was interesting because Todd Bowles was asked about this a couple of weeks ago. You know, what are you going to do about, uh, about week four against the Eagles? There's the possibility that, you know, you guys are going to need a fourth guy. And to me, you know, Bull said that no need. You know, we'll just hand off a bunch if we have to. Well, you get that, but you can only do it so much. You can't go out there and run the ball 65 times, even if it's a preseason game. You want to look at some other things. So the Jets had a John Wolford quarterback. He was a tryout player with them. This, uh, this past um, offseason. And I think that he's a guy that, you know, he'll know the offense well enough to, to, to take the snaps for one game. And I'll be honest with you, John Walford, when I saw that he was in camp with them as a, a you know, invited as an undrafted free agent to rookie camp, I went and watched some of his games. That guy impressed the hell out of me. He really did. I mean, look, it's college, different level. But the guy ran well, uh Really accurate his senior year, and he had he had an insane something like twenty six touchdowns, nine interceptions, or something his senior year. Um, so I, I, honestly, I'd love to see that guy go out there and ball out um, against the Eagles and get himself a practice squad spot. Especially if you're going to trade Bridgewater at some point, you'll want somebody on the roster besides Josh McCown um, behind Darnold, who knows this offense. So Walford, we'll, we'll look for Walford to get a lot of the snaps. And, and we'll see how that goes as far as who plays, who doesn't. It, you know, it's going to be mostly backups. Todd Bowles has said he'll get some starters in there. 
It could be uh, maybe a matter of getting a guy like Brian Winters some extra reps because he hasn't played a lot. Um, I'm sure there will, you know, some starters will be out there. Uh, but there's still some really good battles. The tight end battle has been fantastic. The uh, the battle at outside linebacker hasn't really been fantastic. It's just a bunch of guys who look like backup linebackers. Um, Josh Martin, probably the favorite to win that job. I have no issue with that. Um, Bass is an interesting situation, David Bass, because he, he's a guy who um, did a nice job as a situational pass rusher last year. Um, and this team's pass rushers are so bad that you had to figure he had a legitimate chance to win the starting job. And for some reason, uh, I think he has been a little bit nicked up. But even last week, he was active. And he only played one or two snaps on defense. And he's only th- those are his only snaps of the preseason thus far. So does Bass win this job? Or, or, or Sorry, I should say, it looked like Bass had a chance to win this job. And now you have to wonder if he's going to make the roster. You got Josh Martin on the other side. You got Copeland. You got Dylan Donahue. Um, just a bunch of guys who are okay players um, and may not even be that good. We don't know enough about Dylan Donahue yet. Josh Martin, I like. I feel like I feel that with an improved secondary, we'll see a little bit more production out of him. I mean, really, with the improved secondary, there should be a little bit more production out of everybody. That whole linebacker group, the, the, you know, the whole front seven, to be honest. Um, speaking of that front seven, Avery Williamson looked fantastic the other day against the Giants. He had the forced fumble, almost had two forced fumbles. Um, he had eight or nine tackles, did a really good job. And Neville Hewitt, folks, keep talking about him. Keep talking about Neville Hewitt. And every week, he just goes out there and looks like a damn good linebacker. He did it last week. And, and you know, to be honest, Darren Lee probably – he may have had his best game of the preseason the other day. He, he didn't look like the same old Darren Lee. He did, he did a decent job. His pass coverage was a little bit better than it had been. And he's a guy that I hope, you know, you want all these guys to work out. You know, you're a fan of the team. I, I wouldn't understand rooting against anybody. You know, and I, I've been critical of Darren Lee. And, you know, to me, it's with good reason. We've seen him get beat up a lot in the middle. We've seen him struggle in coverage. One thing I did like, and I, I talked about this, huh, I almost said last show, I talked about it on our last show that didn't air. But Darren Lee, um, you know, use him on the edge more. I said it last week. I said it all off season. I wrote an article about it during the off season. I don't see why you wouldn't do it. And uh, noticed him out there a couple times during the game against the Giants. Not sure how many times. Uh, I didn't track him on every single snap. But I did see him rushing from the outside, which I like. feel like he's a better fit there. Talk to, uh, I mean, a lot of people have said it had the opportunity to speak with former Jets linebacker Chad Cascad in the training camp, and he was absolutely adamant about it. He said he's been saying it for a couple of years now, that when you look at Lee, he's a guy who's not suited for the inside. Um, and, you know, in all honesty, probably not great, not a great fit in a 3-4 scheme in any linebacker spot. But if you're going to have him somewhere, put him in a spot where put him in a position to make some plays. And I think Darren Lee lined up outside gives him the best opportunity to make plays. Whether or not Todd Bowles puts him there on a more frequent basis, we will see. But uh, as I said a while back, a guy like Kevin Minter, and now, you know, this is before we'd seen much of Neville Hewitt. The way Neville Hewitt's playing, as far as I'm concerned, 
I would have no issue with Todd Bowles saying that, you know, we're, we're going to give it a shot with Williamson and Hewitt in the middle and Darren Lee and, and Jordan Jenkins on the outside. Or at the very least, with Darren Lee as a situational guy on the outside and let that be his role. Let him be a, a situational guy who you can work in in different fronts and, and see if he can make an impact there because he's certainly not making an impact in the, the role he's had in the two years since he was drafted in the first round out of Ohio State. He did, for, for those of you who saw it today, he did, uh, Darren Lee did a nice job. He did a nice job in addressing some uh, some criticism that Bart Scott had of him a couple weeks ago. Bart Scott basically called him out, said he wasn't uh, he wasn't willing to mix it up in the middle, and that uh, his marbles needed to drop. Called out his manhood a little bit, and said that he would need to uh, either his marbles would have to drop or he would have to go, something along those lines. And uh, Darren Lee was asked about that today, and he handled it. I think I think with a lot of class, and you know, just just. Absolutely perfect. Um, just said he respects Bart. Bart's got his number. If he wants to call and talk about it, everyone has the right to an opinion. Um, so you know, nice to see that that sort of that maturate maturation process for Darren Lee as he uh, you know it, it can't be an easy thing, especially in the, in this sport in, in you know in a locker room to have a respected veteran who is let's be honest, uh, Bart Scott was a that guy was a badass on the field. So it's one thing when a a, a writer or or a dopey blogger critiques your work because you can just laugh at them, laugh it off. Um, but when you have a guy not only who not only a former player, but a player who played your position on the team you're playing on, and they come out and say question your manhood, that's not that's not an easy situation to deal with. So credit Darren Lee for handling that the right way. I think that was a good job by him. Again, I think he had a nice game against the Giants, and hopefully that continues, man, because, listen, if Darren Lee can step up and, and do what he was brought in here to do, that's huge for this defense. If he can't, then then pull him, put someone in there who can do it. And, again, I, you know, as I've mentioned before, Neville Hewitt being a converted safety, probably going to have better cover skills than Darren Lee. We've seen that throughout camp. We've seen it throughout the games. So it's probably the case that he is the better cover guy, and the Jets have struggled covering tight ends in recent years. So whether or not Hewitt takes that job at some point, we will see. But uh, And as I said, Minter's another guy who's played with Kevin Pierre-Louis. I've mentioned him a few times. He's, he, he's been out for a while now. Uh, not sure what, when they expect him back. But from what he saw in the, the week or week and a half at camp while I was out there, he, uh, he looked like a damn good player. And I, I think I said that after I watched a couple of games on film, um, spe- specifically the Jets game. He played really well in that Jets game. He had a couple contests where he he really stood out, and you kind of looked at him and said, "This guy might be somebody who can play um, more than just a special teamer." And I think that's the case here. But again, Darren Lee will be the starter. How long that that remains to be the case? If he doesn't improve in certain areas of his game, we'll see in time. But Todd Bowles, as we know, you know he does like to stick with his vets for as long as possible. Um, and Darren Lee is now a veteran guy. This is year three for him. So still young, but he's been in the league a few years, and hopefully he gets straightened out. And moving on to our next topic, which is this is a fun one because I've, I've debated this all offseason with people, whether it's been talking to you know buddies in the bar, some of the people who have called in, 
and quite a few people on Twitter. I don't understand the. Uh, I mean, I, I understand to a degree, but the, all this talk about how bad the Jets' offensive line is, that it's just this. You know, they're going to be the worst offensive line in the NFL. They're going to be bottom five. I just, I don't see it. I don't see it at all. I haven't agreed with that one bit. And I'm even more certain now than I was before. Because if you look at how this O-line is playing, the starters, talking about the starters, I'm not talking about Brent Quale getting steamrolled. Because Brent Quale, I had quite a few people tweet me after this game, why is he on the roster? Why is he on? Why is he in the league? Why don't we cut this guy? He's a bum. Listen, Brent Quale is a backup right tackle slash right guard. The reason why guys play right tackle is because they're not good enough to play left tackle. And Brent Quale isn't even a starting right tackle. Any team in the NFL that takes their backup right tackle and moves them over to start at left tackle, you're going to have some problems. So it's not that Brent Quale isn't a good player. And I'm not saying he's going to Canton. I'm not saying he's great. He is a nice, adequate backup on the right side of the O-line. He is a train wreck at left tackle. Nobody's going to argue that. But to me, that's not Brent Quale's fault. Okay, that he's he's playing out of position. If you're an electrician and you show up to work one day, and your boss says, "I need you to install a toilet," and it's not it's not your job, it's not your skill set, it's not what you do. How good of a job are you going to do? Frank Quale is out of position at left tackle. It's not that he's a bad left tackle. It's that he's not a left tackle. So him getting beat at left tackle doesn't make me think he should be cut. Him getting beat at left tackle tells me he should be put back in his rightful position and that Mike McCagnan has some work to do in getting a backup left tackle. Because let's face it, how many teams in the NFL are three deep at left tackle? How many teams have three guys at left tackle that they could put in and not skip a beat? The Jets have already lost their backup tackle. I mean, the Jets were in pretty good shape at tackle coming into the season. You thought, okay, you got Kelvin Beecham, middle-of-the-pack middle guy. And that's, if you look at the PFF ratings, I think that's quite literal. I think he was bang on 16th or 15th in the NFL last year for left tackles. And that's about what he is. He's an average left tackle. And you had Ben Angelata behind him, who isn't great, because if he was great, he'd be getting a ton of money somewhere. But he's an experienced backup left tackle who would do a good enough job to not get anyone killed. More, more than likely. And he gets hurt. So now you're one and two are hurt. Nobody in this league has three left tackles. So the Jets had an average left tackle, a below average left tackle, and then Antonio Garcia, who has been... He hasn't, he hasn't done enough to warrant putting him out there with, with the ones and risk getting Sam Darnold killed. As bad as Frank Quale has been, I would argue... Think Garcia would be equally bad if he was put out there with the starters, based on what he showed in camp. If maybe you know, look, I, I haven't been out there in a couple of weeks. Maybe he's cleaned it up and gotten better and whatever. 
But if he's the same guy he was when I was out there for a few weeks, he, he, you don't want him out there on the field with your starters. You just don't. So when talking about the offensive line as a whole, Kelvin Beecham is expected back to the opener. I talked to somebody out of Florham Park when, when Beecham was put on the shelf, said the team 100% expects him back for the, for the opener. Now, if that's changed, I don't know. If the injury is worse than they expected, no idea. But the expectation when he was pulled is that he would be starting week one. So if you have Kelvin Beecham at left tackle, and then next to him, James Carpenter at left guard. Okay, and we've talked a lot, a lot about James Carpenter since last season. Because he was, as we've said a million times over, he was terrible last year. He was absolutely terrible. And the concern was that he would be even worse this year in his own scheme. Now, my primary concern, and the primary concern, what should be the primary concern for all Jets fans, is James Carpenter's ability to block in the run game. Because let's face it, this year it's about keeping Sam Darnold upright and alive, okay? James Carpenter was good with the Jets his first couple years, but he was always a better pass blocker than run blocker. And it's, it's the preseason. Take it as seriously as you want it. Take it with a grain of salt. But in terms of pass blocking... In case you've been too busy bashing this entire offensive line to actually watch them, James Carpenter has been fantastic in pass protection this preseason. He's been fantastic. I couldn't, I couldn't find a play where he got beat. I went to PFF. I looked and saw their numbers. Zero pressures. Zero hits. Zero sacks. Zero hurries. Zero, nothing. Nobody's beaten him in three games. Of course, you know. Limited reps each game, I get it. But the bottom line is, last year's version of James Carpenter seemed like he was giving up a sack, a hit, or a hurry every fourth or fifth play. Now, this preseason, he's been, I I looked it up, I believe he is right now, out of every guard in the NFL, the fifth highest rated pass blocker. So even if he's close to that, let's say he's, an average pass blocker this year, okay? Let, let's say last year was an aberration. You know, we keep talking about how bad Brian Winters was last year, and we kind of gave him a little bit of a free pass because of the abdominal thing. How do we know, as bad as James Carpenter was, that he didn't have something going on that we haven't heard about? Guys in this league get hurt. Not every injury gets leaked. And if you look at the way James Carpenter played his first two seasons with the Jets, and then you look at the way he played last year, and you're going to tell me that's the same guy? I think you're out of your mind. I know there was a little bit more, considerably more zone blocking last year than the, his first two years, and there will be even more of it this year. I get that, and I get that he struggled in that scheme. But in terms of just popping out of your stance and, and protecting the quarterback, James Carpenter was just fine with that his first couple seasons here. Fell apart last year. And now this preseason looks to have regained his form. Now I'm not saying he has, saying that's how it's looking as of right now. So even if even if he's not, you know, as I said, fifth rated pass blocker in the league right now, even if he drops to twentieth, the guy was like sixty something last year. It was terrible. But that may have been his overall grade. But just in terms of pass blocking and and PFF aside. You don't need PFF to be able to see that James Carpenter got killed last year. 
Just like you don't need PFF to tell you he's been damn good this preseason. That was why I went and looked it up. Because I focused on him during that Washington game. And then I focused on him during that Giants game. During one or two of the rewatches I did. And I just thought, man, nobody's getting past this guy. Looks, you know, as a pass blocker, he looks great. So, again, let's say hypothetically he drops off a little from where he is right now. And he's an average pass blocker. That's fine. Average tackle, average left guard, Spencer Long in pass protection. Last year, went and watched some film on him against some good fronts, against Philly, against the Rams, some good defensive fronts. The guy held his own. He looked fine. He didn't look great, but he looked like a good player. So if he's a good player again this year, He's got health issues. That's the biggest problem that Klein is facing, is health. But if they stay healthy, there's nothing wrong with Spencer Long at center. So that's three out of three. Kelvin Beecham, good player. James Carpenter, good player. Has been. Was last year an aberration? We'll find out. Spencer Long, good player. Brian Winters, who the hell knows how he's going to play after that injury last year. Because he's still missing time this preseason because of it. Well, we believe that's the reason. Nobody has come out and said exactly what his injury is. We've only seen tweets and reports that it's he's continuing to recover from an injury. Well, we know he had off-season surgery last year for his abdomen. So that's the assumption. And what if the team isn't going to say what the injury is, that's all you can do is assume that that's the injury. But Brian Winters, in 50-some snaps this preseason, again, not a ton, he hasn't given up a sack. Three pressures, three hits maybe. But but this is the NFL. Quarterbacks are going to get hurried. They're going to get hit. They're going to get pressured. It happens. So let's say hypothetically again, it's not a, you know it's one thing to say if player X improves by leaps and bounds, or if player X returns to the form he had three or four years ago. That's a lifetime in the NFL. With Brian Winters, all you're saying is if he's healthy, which you hope he is if they're playing him, if he just returns to being the player he was before he was hurt last year, he's a good player. Just like Beecham, just like Carpenter, just like Long, he's not a great player, but he's a good player when he's healthy. And then you go to Brandon Shell at right tackle who's had himself a pretty good preseason as well. His biggest issue, we have discussed it in the past, inconsistency. He's not always as consistent as you would like. But he's looked like a better run blocker this preseason than we've seen from him in the past. And he does, he does a decent job on the right side. I think if, if you looked at Brandon Shell objectively, you would not say he is dominant. You would not say he is great. You would not say this team needs to give him a five-year extension. You would look at him and say, he does what good players do. He usually does his job. Sometimes he doesn't. Every now and then he gets beat. Good players get beat sometimes. But there is, there's not one player on this offensive line that I look at and go, wow, we're in trouble at that spot. Man, what, what are we going to do with this guy? He's terrible. 
That was the case last year with three out of five guys. James Carpenter was terrible last year. Wesley Johnson was terrible last year. Brian Winters was terrible last year. Brian Winters is now healthy. Wesley Johnson has been replaced with a much better player. And James Carpenter looks to be back to the player he was a couple years ago. So somebody tell me, other than hearing from the media, other than having reporters, be it local or national or bloggers, telling me how bad this offensive line is going to be, tell me which player is that bad and, and why they are so bad. I hear people say, Sam Donald's running for his life this preseason. What games are you watching? What are you talking about? He, yes, he has taken a couple of sacks. He's been hit a couple of times. You know what I've noticed on those sacks and those hits? It's either a backup lineman like Brent Quale getting beat or a tight end like Eric Tomlinson getting beat or a clear communication, whether it's Darnold failing set the protections or whether it's the lineman not knowing his assignment. Please don't pretend to know which one it is because you're not in the huddle. But one of those things, uh, you know, a, a free blitzer where the defense sends more attackers than the offense has in the block, and it's just a matter of simple math, that's when we've seen Sam Donald under pressure. Whether it's a back getting beat, whether it's a blown assignment, whether it's a, a overmatched in terms of numbers, we haven't seen these linemen go out there and thrown around and Sam Donald running for his life. But for some reason, people keep telling me this. I see it tweeted out every day, many times. And I just comment back, I disagree. This offensive line will be middle of the pack. They'll be average. Which, you take an average offensive line, even if, even if, even if I give you a little bit, let's say a slightly below average offensive line, slightly below average with a quarterback whose greatest asset is probably his ability to throw on the run and an offensive coordinator who's going to be calling a West Coast attack, which is going to call for quick reads and quick throws and the ball coming out in a hurry. People talk about this season in a way that would make you believe they think Sam Darnold is going to get sacked 65 times. Sam Darnold will get sacked this year. It's the NFL. He'll get hit. Every time he gets hit, we'll hold our breath and hope he gets up. Carson Wentz was sacked 33 times as a rookie. Andrew Luck, yes, Andrew Luck has missed time, a significant time. Because of injuries. Because the Colts never fixed their O-line. Their O-line was worse than what the Jets is right now. And Andrew Luck was sacked 41 times as a rookie. And then he was, he was fine for the next three years. And then year four, year five, whatever it was, he got sacked another 41 times. And apparently that was one too many. Now, if you think that Sam Darnold is going to get sacked 50 times a year, I, th I think you're dead wrong. I think he'll be somewhere in the middle of the pack, 
especially, you know, I, I talk about the fact that the O-line is better than people say it is. Talk about the fact that Darnold has the ability to throw on the run. Talk about the fact that it's going to be a West Coast scheme. Now look at the, look at the decisions Darnold is making. Look at what we, you know, whether it's Brian Baldinger breaking it down on Twitter or Dan Orlovsky, who does a fantastic job breaking it down on Twitter, former players, former coaches. Darnold is seeing and recognizing things that's helping him get the ball out quicker, sensing pressure, knowing when pressure is coming, where it's coming from. So to say that, to keep going on and on and on about this offensive line and how it's so bad, go watch the Bills game yesterday. That's a bad offensive line. The couple times I've watched the Giants this preseason, terrible offensive line. I watched a little bit of the Cardinals the other day. Atrocious. I've, I've yet to see a Jets O-lineman give up a sack this preseason or just get his ass handed to him. And I don't, I don't even don't, – don't, don't message me and say, uh, well, here's here, – I found the play where Brandon Shell got beat. Yeah, everybody gets beat on a play. But the way this offensive line is being talked about by fans and media, you would think that every guy in that front five – is just getting his ass kicked three out of four plays routinely. And that's not happening. And it's not something we've ever seen from Kelvin Beecham. We did see it last year with James Carpenter. And as I said, this year we find out if that was the aberration. You've not seen it from Spencer Long when he was with the Redskins. Other than last year when he was hurt, Brian Winters has been up and down. It took him a while, small college Kent State, okay, yeah, he got his ass kicked for a couple of years. But he came into his own, and he became, a, I would say, an above-average guard. Even average. You hate the guy's guts? Fine. Call him an average guard. I would say above-average. But that's splitting hairs. And Brandon Shell, again, inconsistent. He's had some bad days. Oh, look at all those pressures. Look, he gave up a couple sacks. Yeah, yeah, Khalil Mack beat him a couple times. Shocking. Khalil Mack beats a lot of people a couple times. Let's hope he's with the Jets, beating other people many times next season. But this narrative about how bad this O-line is, I've, that's one of the things I'm most excited about this offseason, or, or about this season, this upcoming season. It's not that I think this O-line is going to be great, but they're going to be so much better than people give them credit for. And we're going to see that. If they're not, I may have to go into hiding. I fully understand that. But here we are, just a week away, less than a week away, from the final preseason game against the Philadelphia Eagles. Hopefully we don't see Sam Darnold or Teddy Bridgewater or Josh McCown take a single snap. There's no reason to have either one of those guys out there. I think the Jets realize that. I think you let Wolford take every snap, let him hand, let, let him throw it a bunch. Listen, you got some tight ends fighting for some roster spots. You know, I mentioned that earlier, this tight end battle. I think Herndon is your starter. 
Maybe not right away because he's been dinged up a little bit. But Walford has played well. I think he's going to get a shot to make this team. Sterling has been fantastic. Everybody, Every tight end. The only guy who's been an issue has been Jordan Leggett because he's been injured. And now that since he's been back from his injury, we just keep hearing how great he's been in practice. So there's not a tight end on this roster who hasn't done something in camp that makes you think they're going to be able to find a good one in this group. I re- I'll tell you what I really wish this group was a little bit more established. It's the fact they haven't done anything in real live action that, that means no trade value. I would love for them to be able to trade one of these tight ends and add an offensive line, add a backup offensive lineman, you know, something along those lines. But we'll see if that happens. You remember last year, the Dexter McDougal deal happened right before the season, where you trade that guy who's maybe giving you a little bit of depth. You deal him off, add some depth of your own. McDougal for, for uh, now I'm drawing a blank, for Terrence Brooks, the safety from the Eagles. And safety, that's another spot. Doug, I think Doug Middleton's making this roster. I think J.J. Wilcox is a tough guy to cut. I think Brooks is a tough guy to cut. They have four or five guys who can make a roster. Inside linebacker, I talked about it earlier. Kevin Pierre-Louis, Neville Hewitt, Kevin Minter, Darren Lee. I mean, Darren Lee, you could make a case, could be the fourth or fifth best inside linebacker on this roster. And that's just, it's crazy to think about, that they might have two or three guys that are better than him. Just tough to gauge, because let's face it, these guys, you know, Darren Lee's in there against the starters, and the other guys aren't. So who knows what they would do in a bigger spot. But I will say, you can't you can't be any happier with what Neville Hewitt has done. You can't, you know, it, it would have been nice to see Kevin Pierre-Louis a little bit more. He could be a guy who gets a lot of reps against the Eagles just to get him, get the rust off. But but with, with, the, with the battles that are still ongoing, those are probably the biggest. The tight end, the linebacker, and the safety. A lot of good players there. Corner, I think, is going to be interesting. One guy, I'll tell you what, who has been a lot better than people realize. Nobody's talking about it. Rashard Robinson, folks. He gave up a couple catches, so people noticed that. But when you look at him, some of the coverage he's provided, you're starting to see it a little bit. You're starting to see the player he can be. And I'll tell you what, if that guy comes on and plays to his full potential... That, that's a future long-term starter. But that's the key, is getting him to play to his potential. That's, I mean, let's face it, it's the key with a lot of guys. But Robinson is one of those guys that just has elite, elite physical attributes, like the type of stuff that you just can't find. And if he keeps playing the way he has, I'll tell you what, that, that deal that everyone was making fun of for Mike McCagnan pulling the trigger on last year, they're gonna be, uh, they'll be eating some crow, and uh, I, I said it at the time. I'll still, I'll say it now. I'll stand by. Even if he never plays another snap for the Jets, that that move was a no-brainer to me. You give up a late-round pick for a guy with with Robinson's talent to try to mold it, because if that works out, you have a top-flight corner. If it doesn't, you took a shot. You rolled the dice. You gave up a fifth-rounder for a guy who showed he could play a little bit, with the potential of being great. If it doesn't work out, uh, you live with that. 
it's not a big deal. Some people are going to kill you for it. You're going to kill, oh, McCaggy threw away a draft pick. Listen, if I'm an NFL GM and you show me this guy's physical attributes and you show me that he's, he's started a little bit in the league and he's had some issues, but when he's good, he looks damn good. And my head coach is a former DB. Um, I, have, I have no issue pulling the trigger on that deal. The Jets did. It looked bad last year when he didn't play much. When he did play, he was bad. But he, uh, he's looked pretty good these last couple games. Strained his, strained his groin. Probably going to miss some time. But uh, he's quietly having himself a nice preseason. So on that note, I would say he's a guy to keep an eye on against the Eagles. But again, that, that groin may keep him out. Hopefully we see Perry Nickerson. That'll be my player to watch for you this, this week. If you're going to tune in and watch, not a lot of people do. I understand that. But if the Jets decide to trot Perry Nickerson out there, man, keep an eye on that guy. I think he's going to make a play. I, I think you're going to see Perry Nickerson. I think you're going to see him get a pick his first in his debut <clears throat> Excuse me, against the Eagles. My understanding is he was in pads earlier this week um, for the first time in a little while. So maybe the plan is to get him out there. And I'm excited, folks. I'm, I, I couldn't be any more excited for this season. I think any Jet fan should be. Anyone who's not is out of their mind. Less than two weeks away from... Well, actually, what, what is... You know, exactly two weeks away, I should say. Exactly two weeks away. Jets-Lions, Monday Night Football. For those of you going, have a blast. And hopefully you see the first of what will be many, many fantastic performances out of Sam Darnold. The future of this franchise. Thank you very much for tuning in to Jet Nation Radio tonight. As I said at the top, I do apologize for the issues we've had with both our technology and our scheduling. I will be returning home to the UK in one week where I will hopefully, hopefully be able to begin once again regularly scheduled broadcasts. On Tuesday nights, we may look at a time switch, but we will see about that. I mean, let's face it, podcasts, mostly downloads anyway. Um, I know for me personally, there's not a single podcast I listen to live. I'm listening in the car, at the gym, wherever it may be. And I'm sure many of you are doing the same. So I just want to say thank you very much for tuning in. We do appreciate the support as always. And it's a, it's a good time to be a Jets fan, folks. Whether or not you're watching the game against the Eagles this week, we know you'll be tuning in in a couple weeks. So go Jets. We appreciate you tuning in, and we'll catch you next week. Thank you so much.